I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Alexis the midwife. And I'm Becky the doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by the wonderful Jess Warner. Jess is an award-winning digital content creator, consultant and educator. She also has a brilliant blog and Instagram page where she shares stories from the front line, covering topics such as parenting teens, being a blended family with five boys, having a neurodiverse child and life after divorce and depression. Jess, we absolutely love your page and we're so excited to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) We love that you're here, darling. And we're going to jump straight in and ask, what is it like to be the only girl in the house? (laughs) Literally. Yeah, literally. um, I I don't know it any other way. So um, I I suppose I, I actually really enjoy it everything that is mine is is very much mine Mm. as of yet no one is pinching my makeup or shoes or clothes that time may come um but for now (laughs) um they're they're well and truly into their smelly socks and football so um yeah I really enjoy having five boys it's good fun Absolutely. I've got two boys, actually, and I grew up with just a sister. So I never even had brothers. And actually, I went to an all-girls school for the majority of time. So this is a massive learning curve for me. So I guess I've I've got three boys in the house, including my husband. But I love it, actually. And boys, I don't know, like, obviously, they're all different. Absolutely. But I tell you one thing that did blow me away in the early years is like, how affectionate boys are, actually. I didn't see that coming in a weird way. I always think about women as being really nurturing and caring. But my boys are quite cuddly and really sort of you know they they're very forthgiving with um you know the the loving words and the compliments and that that I don't know that I guess that kind of surprised me a little bit yeah no I like you I I was brought up by my mum on on her own then I went to an all-girls school my Mm. interaction with boys was just the lovely smelling cool boys that I saw um out out and about yeah very much linked Africa to the eyeballs um and you know all very shiny and gelled hair so but so yeah it was nice to see that softer side of boys with my own boys Mm. and and I find with boys they'll, they'll just come to you for a hug and that's nice. But I guess the thing that I do really, really like about boys versus I get not that it's boys against girls, but versus my time at an all girls school being surrounded mm. by girls is just mm. the brutal honesty. Yeah. Mm. What you see is what you get um, with an argument. It's all out fisticuffs, but then that's mm. it. There's no grudges being held mm. or mm. tit for tat. It's just done and dusted. Move on. That is so true. I remember actually when I had my daughter... And again, like, I don't speak for everyone because I know all kids are very different. But mm. I, I have got two boys sandwiching a, a daughter in the middle. And I had my son first. And then I had my little girl 18 months later. And I remember the health visitor coming and seeing me and saying, oh, you've got a little girl now. They're quite different. <laughs> and being like, oh, yeah, you know, but I didn't really. And she said, no, it's really interesting. She said, boys are like little Labradors. So they sort of like need to be exercised. Yeah. And they bounce around and they're kind of so affectionate. And and little girls can be a little bit like, you know, Siamese cats. Like they'll come to you and they <laughs> need you and they are okay without you in the meantime do you know what I mean it's really interesting that's such a good analogy and so true 
And actually, I didn't think about not sharing your stuff because actually, so mine are 14 and 12. And we genuinely have got into that phase now where I go to get a top out of the wardrobe. And in fact, Lex and I were having a meeting once and my phone rang and I was like, oh, do you mind if I get it? It's, it's Ella. And she was like, mum, where's, where's the leopard print polo neck top? And I was like, I'm wearing it, darling. She's like, well, I wanted to wear it today. <laughs> Do you remember? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm no. sorry, I've got it on. <laughs> and we had a funny thing actually the other day where my husband now can't decipher whose clothes are whose if he's putting the washing away. So I was getting dressed yeah. in the morning and tried to get a pair of pants on that literally got stuck around my thighs. And I was like, oh, no, they're not mine. They've just been put in, in fairness, the wrong drawer. I have a really similar problem now with my other half. So Russell, his sort of clothes and some of the boys' clothes, where they're getting towards like 12, 13, mm, 16, yeah. 18... All the Calvin Klein pants look the same to me. <laughs> They've all got their initials sharpied in the back now because I can't tell whose pants are whose. <laughs> That's a I really can totally good idea. imagine that because my my eldest son's only nine, and obviously my husband's like thirty nine, <laughs> and I'm like I get them confused sometimes when I'm in yeah. a bit of a rush trying to sort everyone's washing out. And the blooming football socks, I hear you, because now I've got literally the three of them play sports. Actually, yeah. um, obviously my my daughter does as well, but a black football socks, a black football socks. I literally spend my spare time trying yeah. to like measure them next to each other and work out who's a who's it's a crazy <laughs> yeah. old business the amount of arguments i cause by putting the wrong thing in the wrong person's yes. drawers is yeah. is insane yeah absolutely i can imagine so funny so obviously because of our jobs we love a birth story and so we always like to ask our guests how were your pregnancies and births and also your transitions into motherhood now i guess possibly different because you've got a, a younger one as well haven't you yeah I've got Casper who's five yeah mm. I mean I've been really lucky in that all three of my pregnancies and births were amazing really really great um I had my first two Hugo and Bruno when I was I was only a baby I was 21 and then 23 mm-hmm. but the births and pregnancies couldn't have gone any better um I had Hugo in hospital um down in Brighton where you guys are and that was great I mean I wanted to get out there as quickly as possible I'm not a fan of of hospitals so then with my second I had you know I was quite confident in the whole birth thing and because it had gone so well I had a home birth with Bruno Mm -hmm. and again that was another experience and that was really really lovely and yeah I guess it was slightly different than doing it seven years later so a bit of a gap to when I was 30 when I had Casper few more niggles and aches and pains in pregnancy but again nothing major and a really quick easy hospital birth no complications so all three births I couldn't have asked for better amazing Um, however I guess the transition into Mm. motherhood it was more the physical and emotional aftermath Mm. that I guess I didn't account for I guess that's where to a certain extent the car crash happened and mm. um, you know you get to a certain point and then the energy literally crashes the hormones crash mm. and I crashed with them mm. especially with my first two um I think as I said I was only 21 and 23 and when I look back I just want to give myself a hug because mm. I was just yeah. so young mm. and how much support did you have back then Jess Wait, like as a as a young mum because I mean like Lecky worked mm. obviously with the the teenage pregnancy group they have a a lot of care but I guess you might did you fall outside of that bracket at 21 yeah Uh, at 21 I was you know I I was married and had a partner we had our own house so I I kind of didn't Mm. fall into that demographic of almost um, needing a bit of help or guidance um support wise I've always had my mum and she's great but that is just one person mm, um, yeah. with one one perspective. And it was really, really difficult. Mm. You know, breastfeeding, I didn't take to it. And I had mastitis and you know, you've got a screaming child and you don't know what to do. And yeah, I honestly felt like I was drowning in motherhood. Yeah, I yeah. think that, you know, I think that's so you know it's an honest it's an honest you know account of it really and I and I can mm. understand that to an extent as well because I had my first when I was 28 and by that stage I'd been in midwifery for six years so it's not like you know pregnancy birth new motherhood the postnatal period should have come as a surprise to me having done what I did for so long yeah. but you could have knocked me down with a feather I was mm. I think actually looking back I really was quite shell-shocked in those early days especially and actually even at 28 Jess not many of my friends were having babies yet I'd say the 30s is mm. when the majority of my close friends um sort yeah. of entered motherhood really so I felt you know I was new I was vulnerable 
Dan and I had gone through a fertility journey. It had taken a while. So I felt like I didn't really have the right to be, you know, feeling sorry for myself about the fact I was finding it quite tough. But actually, I really was. And I was chatting to a very close friend who's had a baby last week. And, and we were just talking about, it feels like sometimes people don't tell you about those early weeks and how, you know, sensitive and tender and vulnerable you're going to feel both physically and emotionally I mean that sort of John Wayne walk you do after you've had a baby for that first few days all your bits feel sore and stinging and that's regardless of really how you know well the birth might or might not have felt like it went I think and we were chatting about this and I was saying we do hear about it, I think, but we're just not ready to really fully understand and take it on board until we go through it because it's a really, it's really truly something that you only understand fully when you live it. It's like a lived experience thing. That yeah. th- How can you really explain to somebody that rawness of emotion that you feel in those early days? Mm. I just feel like you have to be in it. And then finally the light goes on and you go, oh, I get it now. I understand yeah. how it is. Yeah. Like you said, I think even if someone had have given me all of the manuals and all of the warnings that that was how I might feel yeah. or, you know, all the things I might have gone through, as you say, I think I would have shut off to it. As a 21-year-old, I thought I knew better. Um, I thought my experience would be different. So, yeah, I, I really genuinely thought that mine would be different. I could make it different. I was, I was going to be better than that. So it came as a real crash to me. In that respect, I mean, it was it was still 2006. I make yes. it sound like that was ages ago. But in 2006, before social media, before there were blogs, mm. before there were women on the yes. internet sharing what it was like, um, you know, just just things that were considered really taboo to be talking about. No one mentioned postnatal bleeding or the fact mm. that you know I would be fearful of going for that first wee. You know, mm. no one mentioned any of those things, and it was a very very isolating time. Mm. Yeah. And that you know, even if you've got the best support network, I think you can feel very, very alone. Um, and that's only compounded yes. when it's dark and it's in the middle of the night. Yes. And you've got a crying baby and those feelings of I don't know what I'm really doing. Honestly, this is truly and absolutely the reason we wrote the little book of self-care for new mums, which is mm. obviously the first one. We actually wanted to start with the post postnatal period, the postpartum, because we felt like it was the the bit that just isn't discussed enough and women don't have a chance to get their head around as much and you know Becky and I are really passionate about women making postnatal care plans for themselves because actually we spend such a lot of time focusing on what the birth might be like which really has so many variables anyway as to how it will play out and very often women just say oh my goodness you know is that moment when you get home with your baby afterwards and you go what am I doing that's the bit that kind of like seems to you know hit hard so it's it's great if you if you have had a chance to have a few moments beforehand even though you don't know how it's going to truly feel just to make a few plans as to how you're going to look after yourself so so well during those few weeks after the baby arrives definitely I think it makes all the difference when I hear about people now that you know clearly say Mm. you know and I think it came from you Becky that you know closing the drawbridge keeping the door shut for two weeks after you've had that baby to just get to know each other spend that time indoors you know with, with no pressure from the outside world and if someone just had planted that seed in my head in 2006 that that was okay to do that Um, Mm. it it really would have made all the difference just knowing it's okay to take care of myself and the baby definitely and I think you're right Um, I had my first in 2006 and um, there was nothing was there there I mean like social media obviously has its difficult side but it does bring you together and it and and at those whatsapp groups and those kind Mm -hmm. of instagram people that you can message and share kind of stuff with and I didn't have anything like you say like that and and I think I spoke about this in another episode, but going to play groups almost felt more isolating because it was this real sort of Stepford mum vibe where everyone was smiling, but kind of dead behind the eyes. And I I used to feel quite (laughs) alone there. And I'd be like, is no one else finding this hard? Like, you know, no one, no one talked about it because it was almost the narrative then was that you had to love every minute. And if you didn't, you weren't a very good mother. Whereas now we know that we can love our children and find it hard at the same time. And that's okay. You know, so that's been the real shift in Mm. thoughts that, I say back then, I think if you weren't wearing the Bowden dress with the bugaboo buggy and absolutely Mm. bossing life, then certainly in my head, maybe not everyone else's, but I felt like a failure if I wasn't ticking all of those boxes. And 
add to that that I, I was 21 walking into these play groups that potentially you know the mums were about 30 and I, they kind of might have known each other I just felt like a complete outsider to motherhood Mm. isn't it bizarre and it like as in just that kind of you have this this imagination in your head as to how it's going to look and sometimes how it feels and I think like Becky said you know there is so much magic and beauty in it you know there's little newborn faces the kind of the way that they just kind of squeak and their little crinkly hands look and there is so much joy there isn't there and oh my goodness like you've you've made a human being and that's allowed to coexist next to Mm -hmm. fuck me what the hell just <laughs> happened? Like, literally. Yeah. Like, those yeah. two things are totally allowed to, like, be side by side, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, by the time I had came out of having Casper in 2015, I think a shift in the fact that you were allowed to have those feelings coexist, that had, you know, been discussed mm. publicly, yeah. mothers were allowed to be normal people as well, that had been accepted. And the fact that I'd had sort of seven years of motherhood and realising those things myself, that it didn't have to be perfect... Mm. However, mm. I decided to, to mother Casper in my own way. That was going to be good enough for me and for him. I think those two things just made my last experience with Casper in 2015 completely different. Such a positive experience of motherhood. But I, yeah. I just want everyone else to not have to go through that yeah, first bit. I know. <laughs> I'd I like know. to be able to gift everyone the motherhood that I had in, in 2015 in the early yeah. days. I totally get that. And also, Jess, I, I feel exactly the same because my first couple were, were born 18 months apart from each other. Mm. And like I said, I was sitting in my 20s and, it, you know, it was, oh, I was a bit shell-shocked, to say the least. But when I had Wilfred, Wilfie, our last baby, our number three, it's really funny because people said to me, I got a lot of comments. Oh, my goodness, three kids, you've got your hands full. And like, oh, I bet you're having no time to rest. But you know what? And it sounds similar to you. I was very, very intentional about the support yeah. I was getting. My husband took a month off after Wilfred was born. So he had two weeks paternity leave and then he added on two weeks annual leave. My mother-in-law then booked in a week with us. My mum booked in a week with us. And that took me to the six week point because obviously I, at that point, had four children age four, sorry, three children age four and under. And I needed, I just needed hands. I needed hands and hugs and people making dinner and people doing the things. And it was the smoothest experience and absolutely by far the most joyful I'd say out of the three mm. that we had yeah. and I think it was just knowing that there was no shame in asking for a bit more help and actually yeah. knowing that you can't be all things to all people all the time especially when you're a brand new mum. But that's what it comes down to isn't it it's that it's that permission to not do it all on your own and our narrative is so stoic we have mm. this stoic kind of like just showing up a mentality mm. and it was only when I did my training in Thailand where they were like no 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 you, you like who are you getting to help you you know that was their first question so who's going to be there to help you who's going to be cooking for you and it was almost like you were really bollocked if you didn't have that in place whereas <laughs> it, you know coming back here and having yeah. my first they were like oh that's nice that you're having a massage you know it almost felt yes. like I was being really self-indulgent yeah. and you're like why do we yeah. do that you know yeah, absolutely and asking for and going back to this whole asking for help thing it in the majority of cultures around the world that sort of first month or so after the baby's born people just rally in they the troops mm. come in and they lift every other responsibility that you have apart from being a mum and looking after a newborn and physically healing and adjusting to motherhood they take that away and off of your shoulders and we need that mm. we cannot as becky and i say you know no woman is an island you cannot do it you know, all on your own. It wasn't meant to be that way. Yep, so I think that makes all of the difference for yeah. sure. Jess, how did you meet your Mr. Only girl in the house? <laughs> your partner? <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, Russ, Russell and I met um, in 2013. So I had, I was a single mum with Hugo and Bruno. Mm -hmm. um, they were about four and five. And he was a single dad living in the same village as us. And his boys, oh, they must have been about eight and nine-ish at the time, mm -hmm. Noah and Marley. And I had a lovely house that overlooked a football pitch. You know, it, it was a, a boy's dream. But the, um, I guess, the downside from parents' point of view, mm -hmm. their plus side was that my feral children would go out and join anyone's football game. You know, <laughs> if, a, if a single dad with his two sons came with a football on a Sunday morning to have a kick around, my two were out through that gate like a flash. So it was one of those Sunday mornings um, they spotted 
um, Russell and Noah and Molly having a kick around and off they were out. I think even the dog joined them at one point. <laughs> um, and so 10, 15 minutes in, you know, I've drunk my tea at this point and thought, better go rescue that poor bloke from my kids and dog and, and you know, probably the cats over there as well. Wandered over and was just blown away. I thought, oh my God, he's gorgeous. Who is this man? Um, got chatting, but I was also very wary that because it was early on a Sunday morning, I hadn't actually brushed my teeth yet. Um, probably looked like the wreck of a Hesperus. I mean, it wasn't a good look. But um, anyway, over the next two months, it was over summer, um, we were both very coy around each other, you know, um, just taking the dog for a walk, meeting up for kick around and footballs until we finally both got to the point of actually, I really quite like you, you know, a little bit juvenile. Um, and yeah, just, just went from there. I can kind of guess we were, the kids already all knew each other from school. So we were over that hurdle. At no point did we need to introduce the kids. It was just a case of all of us just starting to kind of move closer together and sort of get to know each other a bit more. I love, I love the fact that before you went out to say hi, he'd basically already given you 15 minutes of ch- free childcare. <laughs> I mean, that's surely a winner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is any man that lets you drink a hot cup of tea before saying, excuse me, your kids are a pain in the bum. Um, <laughs> even then, he still didn't say, you know, he was very gracious. He, he didn't say, who are these feral children? Take them away. I love the fact that your boys mm. found him for you. That's really sweet as well, isn't really it? That they kind sweet. of, you know, yes. went over and... You know, what did they make of it? What did they Basically. think of it when you started getting together? Um, well, obviously, there's a honeymoon period, isn't there? I, I don't think just the honeymoon period applies to just people when they get together. It's mm. very exciting when my, you know, my mummy's going out with your daddy, and yeah. you know, there were all, all those exciting things for a good a good few months. I think more so on my boy's side because they were younger, and no, I think my boys were in kind of reception in mm. year one. And Noah and Marley were in year six and seven. So uh-huh. Hugo and Bruno thought it was absolutely <laughs> the dog's bollocks that, you know, my mummy's yeah. going out with your daddy because they were big boys. Not sure Noah and Marley really <laughs> um, felt the same, but they went along with it for a while anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, everyone's excited and it just meant more, foot, you know, more boys to play more football with. That was their point of view. There was now two other kids to keep the ball around with. Mm. I love it. So what would be your top tips for couples getting together who already have kids? Because presumably it is a bit more tricky because there's a lot more logistics involved rather than just, do you fancy a drink? So any top tips? Oh, goodness. I guess it's it's always really tricky because it's not just when you get together as a blended family, not that you necessarily know that that's how it's going to end up. You don't obviously Mm. meet someone and think, right, we're going to be a family. But, you know, going down, that has to be, I guess, your consideration when when you've got kids already. And by the time you all meet, that's kind of where you're you're going. Um, But there's lots of other people. There's so many moving parts. It goes beyond just me and him, kids. There's then other parents as well. It's sort of a huge group of people. And I guess the Thing that you do have to become is almost a bit of a counsellor or therapist in mm. being able to understand where everyone is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You might not necessarily feel the same way, but understand why people, whether it's yourself, your partner, the children, the other mm. parents, why someone might be saying or doing something, you know, just constantly trying to see another person's point of view mm-hmm. because there will be lots of them in a blended family. And if you can understand or try to see the point of view, I think it will help run run everything a little bit more smoothly. Mm, it's always going to be complicated, isn't it? And a bit more complex mm. when there's lots of, you know, existing characters in the house and you're all, it is, you know, blending is the right word. It's like sort of just trying to get everybody to be able to, to have a lovely life together and live in harmony, but also understand we're all different and there's surely lots of different characters and dynamics at play yeah. there as well. It's, it's so many dynamics, I mean, especially, uh, I mean, maybe we've got more children than even most. And then, mm. you know, we threw Casper in for good measure as well. Um, but I always say it, it is a constant dance. You're yeah. all constantly moving. It's all moving parts. And it's just a case of all mm. moving around each other without bumping into each other too much. That, that's all yes. what it's about. You've all got to be kind of listening to the same music, doing your own moves, but just try not to, to bump into each other too much. 
Oh, which is which so is actually much. a good rule for family life mm. in general when yeah. you've got older kids especially isn't it because as, as they get older they get suddenly their own opinions and their own personalities a lot more and you know you're sort of you find mm. that yeah like you say you're sort of trying to dance around each other a little bit I really like that when I was with family nurse partnership actually which is um when, so Jess you know I used to be a teenage pregnancy midwife and I worked doing yeah. up in London for about best part of a decade really and we used to talk a lot with our teenage mums about dancing and not wrestling with motherhood mm. and that was something that came up as because it is a big transition you know you're 17 years old and life's changed hugely because you've become a mum and mm. it's you know it's not always going to be completely fluid but just how do we work around everyone's emotions and feelings I mm. so I completely hear you when you say that yeah I mean if, if we're not dancing in our house it will break into wrestling mm. so <laughs> it, it's the preference <laughs> actually that is a point like uh, wrestling is an emotionally but also my boys are very very physical I have to say my yeah. daughter is quite physical as well to be fair and she can very much stand up for herself and I know some people have been quite surprised over the years because my kids oh, we have to break it up a lot they actually physically fight Jess like really yeah. hurt each other sometimes and that's yeah. been again I think coming from just having one sister and not growing up with any brothers or boys in the house sometimes that it, it does sort of shock me and I find that sort of that lioness comes out in me and I'm like rah and I want to stay calm but I'm like you guys have just stepped over the mark here Do, are your boys quite physical with each other oh yeah all the time I mean it's one of the best things that I, I do love catching on camera if I can because it's so much fun mm. but yeah when, when they all you know when they all bundle on a bed or wrestle with each other I am there very much I am the fun sponge you know saying yeah. Yeah, oh don't get hurt don't, oh be yeah. gentle with him you know oh don't, don't pull that oh be careful of his head be careful of his neck but it is so much fun you know, the energy that comes off boys when they yeah. are you know all girls if they want to do that but I've only got girl, a boy so I, I can only talk yeah, about yeah. the energy that comes off them is just electric. Mm, it's um, so funny. So, I was watching one of your stories the other day, and um, I don't—I can't remember which one of your boys was carrying Casper, and he had his hood over his head, and and then I suddenly heard your voice go, "Can he breathe?" <laughs> it really made me laugh because I was like, I was actually thinking the same. I was like, "Oh my god, can he breathe?" <laughs> the amount of times and situations I now have to ask, "Can your little brother breathe?" They wrap him up in blankets, in coats, in oh, duvets to throw him down something. He seemed to be. Enjoying so every minute compliant. of it, actually. Yeah, oh, he does. He's he is like the Labrador. As, as long as they're yes. playing with him, he doesn't care if he's being wrapped up and thrown down some stairs. Wilfie's exactly the same, but I do have this instant. I bet you experience this as well, Jess. Where I can, they're wrestling upstairs, and they'll do like this fun wrestling, and you'll hear them like like giggling and the laughter, and it's like euphoric. And then there'll be a thump and a silence yeah. and I'm like it's coming it's coming and then there'll be a massive like hysterical yeah. crying and I'll be like Wilfie are you okay <laughs> it's that intake of breath you can hear it and the whole house almost pauses for that intake of breath before the scream or the cry comes yeah. like, but there it, it's it is. that classic thing of, I mean I just need to have tattooed on my head you know, this is going to end in tears yes <laughs> they don't seem to learn I literally, yeah, that's so funny. I, I say to the book, actually, and I've used all three of them, like, you know I'm going to say it, this is going to end in tears. Mark my words. And they've become, like, it's become a running joke in our house. I, I don't know when I became, like, an adult that actually says this stuff. So funny, isn't it? See, mine don't, mine don't physically fight, but they are vicious with their words to each other in that yeah. teenage, preteen, girly way. You know, I think sometimes... it is a girl thing that sort of the, using the words, mm. and they make me wince. I'm downstairs yeah. making supper, and I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Did you just say that? And you know, and then it's, it does end in tears as well because somebody said something quite wounding, but not so much fighting, mm. but. Um, Words, yeah, just as, yeah, just as I harsh. I have to say, I, I don't find the boys are that imaginative with their <laughs> insults and words. It's it's like that their, their language when it comes to insulting somebody just isn't that colourful. Mm. Um, mm. So I think it, it, that's why they probably resort to the wrestling. Cause that <laughs> yeah. is their the the boys wrestle, zone. definitely. And then Ivy will come out with one like swift comment and I'll be like, oh, burn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jess, we really um, thought your blog that you wrote about uh, like shopping addiction was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind if we just go mm-hmm. there for a minute, because obviously, like you said, mm-hmm. it is like glamorised and trivialised by the shopping industry. There are all these beautiful things now more than ever that you can see. It gets fed to you on your Instagram feeds and Facebook or whatever it is that you're looking at. So sort of Mm. readily available. And I suppose the joy of something like Instagram is that you can see how lovely people's homes are and what they've been doing and what they're wearing, what shoes they just bought. But I guess the other side of it is it kind of also hooks you and you think, oh, I need more of that stuff to, I don't know, like be more whole or be more happy. Could you talk Mm. us through a little bit about that? Because you ended up actually getting some therapy for it, didn't you? Because it it sort of felt like it took over a bit. Well, it it did. It was, I would say, perfect storm, but it was almost an Mm. imperfect storm Mm. that I'd had my boys, obviously really young, went through everything that comes with motherhood with two boys within 13 months. So basically two babies. I'd married... You know, I would say the first guy that pulled the ring out on me, but actually he was the second by this point. So I'd married him really quickly, really early. It wasn't the greatest of choices. We weren't a good match. So Mm -hmm. it was a toxic relationship. We had a business going on. um, We had so many different Mm -hmm. things going on that I say it, it was a perfect storm. It was and it was really coupled with this idea that I'd manifested in my head that I had to be perfect to everything. So I had to be the perfect mother to the boys, which I didn't have a clue how to do. I had to be a perfect wife. I had to be a perfect businesswoman. You know, I had to have everything under control and perfect. And it's just not possible. And one of the ways that I, you know, I was really, really thought that I could present to the world as perfect Mm. was how I looked and the clothes that I was wearing. And it, it became an addictive cycle of, you know, buying really high-end luxury stuff that I obviously didn't need, but you get stuck in that addictive cycle of buying it, the high of, of buying it and, you know, it, it arriving, you know, I was buying it on the internet a lot of the time. Then the shame and the guilt that comes with it and all of those feelings, you know, it was, as I say, it was a storm. It was a mess. Mm. And anyone looking in from the outside at that time, you know, I was about 24, 25 at this point, it just looked like a washing machine with mm. all of the colours and whites all thrown in together, all going round and round and round. And that was my world. That was my head. And my mum, who is so incredibly supportive, you know, she would come into that washing machine as much as she could to try and slow the spin cycle, to pick out the bits. But at the time, I wasn't being honest with her either. Mm. You know, she could see the chaos. She would try and calm the storm. But there's only so much one person can do. Mm. And as I wasn't willing to accept help for a lot of the time, it was just getting worse and worse. You know, I'd been diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. I was on um, antidepressants, which really, really did help kind of level me out a bit. Mm-hmm. But it was just a chaotic storm that led to me in this addictive cycle and being really close to a breakdown. Mm. Until I had to say, you know, it got to a point and I said, I need to stop. You know, this spin cycle really needs to stop. And I went and saw a few therapists that offered, you know, well, if you come and see us for 45 minutes once a week, then we can talk this through. And I just thought, no, 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 no. This is bigger than 45 minutes a yeah. week. Yeah, I, yeah, I need absolutely. to stop. I need to get off this roundabout and stop. And the only way I could see of doing that was to check myself into rehab. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds extreme, but I wasn't getting the support I needed from my partner. And as much as I loved them, I needed to escape my two small children mm-hmm. that were relentlessly wanting me as well. Yeah. So I found, you know, I shopped around, <laughs> ironically, for um, a rehab centre to find sort of the most holistic that I possibly yeah. could. I wanted somewhere that was going to take care of me as a person not just um, medicate me and send me back out into the world. Um, So I found a really, really great um, rehab centre in Surrey. I checked in for five weeks and we did some, you know, group therapy, you know, uh, single therapy as well, worked out why I was shopping, why I was stuck in these cycles, you know, really get to the bottom of the why. It, It doesn't matter if your addiction is shopping, alcohol, drugs, 
sex, mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in, in rehab, I met someone that had every sort of addiction. It, it's really irrelevant what your you know, poison is. It's a case of the why. So yeah, I, I spent five weeks really getting to know myself mm-hmm. and working out who I was as a person, which I hadn't had a chance to do in adulthood. You know, I'd gone from late teenager into motherhood mm-hmm. and marriage. Yeah. So it, it was my chance to breathe and understand mm-hmm. my motivations, my whys and everything about myself, unpack all my baggage and then neatly fold it back and put it back in a bag ready to leave. And it was the best thing I've ever done. What a gift to give yourself. I mean, yeah. I bet. I, we both, Becky and I, have had um, therapy over the years for different, all sorts of different reasons. Mm. And we we often say that we sort of, well, me in particular, I really <laughs> quite miss my CBT sessions sometimes. I had, I know obviously yours was a, a different one. Mine was for very acute depression and anxiety in my third pregnancy that was crippling, truly. And I had just, mm. uh, I had sort of checked out of um, motherhood and, and the real world, to be perfectly honest with you. And I had to get back to myself again. I had to get better. I was very poorly at the time um and I ended up having uh, rehab for didn't go I wasn't in-house I used to go three days a week and I did it um I mean for the best part of two and a half months really and it absolutely changed my life and I do look back to that time and there are some days I miss it actually Jess because mm-hmm. having that space having someone hold space for you to try and unpack the co- you know the complexities of life really the pressures that you put on yourself but that life puts on you that you know gifting yourself that Mm. oh my goodness it's life-changing isn't it it really is it it really is and that was the first time that I was able to be truly honest not only with myself but with a room full of people Mm. about how I felt about everything Mm. about my marriage about motherhood I didn't have to hold back and the best thing that I learned from it was that those people didn't judge. Yeah. You know, I wasn't judged for saying how I yes. felt. It was absolutely yes. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that was, you know, one of the best things that I took from it was mm. that if you just say how you feel, honestly, openly, but with, with kindness, yeah. you, know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be brutal to anyone, then it can be the most liberating feeling that you can possibly have. And I think it's really important, actually, just to go back to what you said about, you know, 45 minutes not being enough, because I think that Mm. can be a massive hurdle to stop a lot of people from accessing help. And I've worked with women who I unfortunately had to call an ambulance a while ago for a woman who had fallen through the cracks. She was really, really unwell and she needed to be in-house. And um, while I was waiting, she was saying, it just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And, Mm. And it was exactly that. She had been looking online and it's all very vague isn't it I can help you with depression I can help you and and those therapies are great early like if you're in there early and and you know or you have a lot of other support around you they can be Mm. absolutely life-changing but sometimes you've got to a point where it's too big Mm. and almost you're like how how is that that's not going to that's not even going to skim the top off and so people don't go and I think it's really good to know that there is that that bigger picture that available that you can check in and you can fully immerse yourself in yeah. in the help and support because some people need that you know and I think a lot of people don't even know that it exists sometimes yeah I, I think by the time you're living with this giant monster that has taken over you whether that be addiction depression um, an eating disorder whatever it is it is like living with a giant monster that is taking over mm. your life when you've got that living with you, the idea of going and finding a therapist for a start that might fit with what you need, that will be a good fit. I mean, that is exhausting in itself when you have next to no energy anyway, to have that burden, and it is an emotional burden to have to go and find somebody, then find the right person that might fit for you. So you might have to try three or four different therapists. And just the simply Mm. booking it in, going to it, Finding childcare or whatever is for the 45 minutes to an hour. Finding parking, all those things. Mm, Mm. When you're already living with, you know, the monster that is depression or, you know, or addiction, Mm. those things are just enough to tip you over the edge. They're just too much. 
You yeah. forget the big things at that point. The small things are the big things. The brain just can't yeah. cope, can it? In, the, in those sort of yeah. moments of crisis. I mean, truly, that's what it is, isn't it? So yeah. I think that's amazing. I think it's so good that, and and it's you know, it's it's getting to that point, isn't it, where you kind of go, I deserve better than feeling this mm. way, which is is a hard point to get to. But I'm so glad you did. So Alexis and I always talk about our why in everything we do, and that came from somebody that Lex taught. Uh, sort of learnt from uh, and it helps keep us kind of authentic to our professions and what we do and we love that your why very much seems to be sharing all of the the sort of real trickier side of parenting to help other mothers not feel so isolated uh, which you nail by the way because I've had quite a few um, mums in clinic who have mentioned your page you know completely unprompted as as a page that really helps them Mm. yeah lots of like some of them because they have a child with neurodiversity like we do and some of them because they're navigating meeting a new person who's already got children and so you know all of it is is so helpful Mm. so we love that obviously you and I have kids with neurodiversity which is a big spectrum but your post recently that you wrote about you know your son losing it at his football match and you know how Mm. you felt really resonated with me and as a mum of a a kid who has similar outbursts it's so hard isn't it that sort of um that that wrench between being quite wounded by their outbursts but also fiercely defensive of them and not wanting anyone to judge them and and misunderstand them and you know Mm. that that constant inner turmoil and I kind of felt every word that you wrote and it made me feel really seen and validated and it and it really does help actually you know so so I think it's amazing that you share all of that would you have any top tips for any parents navigating I mean neurodiversity is a spectrum but anything that you found particularly helpful that helps you I guess as as, as you said my why is mm. to ensure no one feels like they're alone Mm-hmm. Um, so that is my why. And the only way that we cease to feel alone is by sharing. Mm. Um, it can be the hardest of things and the most shameful of things, as you say. Um, for a long time, I kept what was going on with H, who is neurodiverse. At the moment, um, he's undiagnosed, although we're going through lots of processes of assessment, um, whether that's with autism or um, ADHD as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I use the umbrella term of neurodiverse. Yeah. But for a long time, I kept that bottled up and quiet because I, I was ashamed that I had a child that was not able to behave in school or, you know, was being suspended at the age of eight or nine, mm-hmm. um, was swearing at me, was using his brother as a punch bag. Um, I was ashamed of that because I genuinely believed that what well, I have done something fundamentally wrong to have a child that is out of my control. Yeah. Um, and I didn't share it, um, but it is a big part of my day-to-day life. And the first, I can remember the first time that I wrote a blog about it, um, it was about a birthday party. Birthday parties, especially in primary school for neurodiverse kids, are a nightmare. They don't get invited. Um, mm. Other parents see this scary, angry child I think, well, why am I going to take that on at a joyous birthday party? It's just easier to leave them off the list. But mm. the ramifications of just leaving a name off the list are huge for not yeah. only the child who's not invited, but for the parents who know they're not invited, mm. for the mother that knows the reason that her daughter or son has been excluded and, and there's nothing that they can do about it. So I, I remember writing a blog post about it. I was actually, of all joyous places, at Butlin's. Um, everyone else had gone off swimming and I was I was left in the room and there I was typing away and I, I just for the first time I just typed and typed and typed and was completely honest I thought right push publish it's gonna go out it's gonna get tumbleweed radio silence because I know I'm alone in this one I'm genuinely alone no one else has a naughty kid like mine that is not being invited to parties and it was amazing the response of oh thank goodness you've said that it's not just me Mm. was absolutely it blew me away and it it still does blow me away since then to now you know about four years of me sharing the ups and downs and joys and pitfalls of living with H um at every single turn when I've mentioned a struggle there's been not not just one there's been dozens and if not hundreds of people Mm. that have said either thank you or I didn't realize other people parents children were going through this Mm. 
So the one tip I have is share, talk to people, be honest, because you are genuinely not alone. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said that Becky's my wise woman and obviously a slightly different situation but one of my children has got quite severe dyslexia and that's meant that um, the last three years of school has been absolutely hideous and Becky knows this and when I talk about hideous I'm talking about a girl that screams crying in the car on the way to school that begs me on a Sunday night not to send her to school the next day and I knew it wasn't that education as a whole because actually she's very bright but she's also very dyslexic I'm dyslexic as well and I know that that is a a different issue to to what you guys have been through but I, I guess where I'm meeting you is at the point of just being a parent just thinking there's something more going going on here and very much having the teachers to my face label her as the naughty child in the class oh Mm. she didn't want to do her work today so she hid under the table so we had to have her removed from the class and she had to go to the office for five minutes time out and actually and I remember being so wounded called into the classroom and Becky knows this Mm. I've cried like Mm. a number of times at the school right in front of the teacher feeling like I'm being told off for um for her what I thought at the time was sort of behaviour as we sort of coined the term. And actually it wasn't until a friend turned around and said to me, why is she hiding under the table? Why is she so unhappy at school that she has to hide under the table? And then imagine on top of that, the school then punish her for how frustrated and sad and unhappy she already is. And they actually on one occasion took lunch break time away from her so that a child that can't concentrate in the classroom already has to sit for a further five minutes in the classroom while her friends run around outside and burn off their energy well I tell you what I do and I'm saying this in case anybody listens and goes through something similar we've moved her school and she is a different child and I am so so happy and I could have cried on the first day at her new school because the first thing they did was they sat her down and we moved her to a school with a hell of a lot more support and they sat her down and they said you know we want you to write 10 things that you love about yourself and that you know that you can do well. Mm. And it was the first time someone has ever asked her in an educational environment to highlight and focus on the stuff that she's good at. And you know what? It doesn't have to be phonics and it doesn't have to be maths. And she sat there and she said, I can sing, I can dance. She loves, she's amazing at singing. And, you know, and she's like, I can, she can do monkey bars like no other kid I've ever seen. Probably because she carries so much tension around in her body that she's (laughs) strong as you can imagine, she's strong as an ox. And she came out just, you know, my husband just said, oh my word, look at the smile on her face. That's something we've never seen from her going into school and coming out of school again. But I think it was about trusting ourselves and trusting our instinct because she's 18 months younger than her brother and he's always just found school such an easy place to be. And for her, it was always like wading through treacle. And why why did it feel so hard? And I think I just kick myself now that I didn't just trust my instinct to my intuition earlier because I truly, like you, just thought, what am I doing wrong this time around? And totally blaming myself for for her unhappiness when actually it was more complicated than that. Yeah. But anyway, Becky, during this whole time, I cannot tell you how much airtime this has had between me and Becky and the advice that she's given me and how much it sort of validated what I was feeling and that I wasn't just making it up in my head. It was a real thing that was going on. Yeah, well, yeah. it's so important, isn't it, to sort of share to share our share our story like like you Jess and I think the other thing is the the thing that I have learned from having um so Izzy was diagnosed undiagnosed because it isn't an official diagnosis in the UK but she has sensory processing disorder which comes with autism usually but she doesn't have the autism Mm. although there's a question mark because girls often get misdiagnosed so but her stuff plays out as sensory so she gets um bothered by textures and sounds and clothes and it, it it creates quite high anxiety and I really remember having a conversation with one of the mums at her primary school because she thought I was really rude because I didn't say hello properly in the morning and she pulled me aside one morning and said I say hello to you every morning and you just say hi and then you rush off by and she was really affronted and I said oh love and I thought god if only you fucking knew what my mornings entailed you know I have a kid who can't get dressed she can't tolerate clothes she has you know she has three meltdowns before we get her uniform on I'm lucky if I brush her teeth and get her to eat breakfast I'm lucky if I get her to school and then I'm leaving quickly because I'm trying not to cry you know and I I think what I took away from that is 
never judge another mum no matter what mm. you see happening in front of you mm-hmm. there is a reason that that's happening and there is a story behind it and just be nice to her because you know we're all bloody treading water aren't we yeah 100% I, th- I think you know you, you mentioned the post that I've shared on Instagram the other week when Hugo had had this monumental um what I refer to as as meltdowns but has been much more eloquently put to me that when he goes into one of these it's like a panic attack mm-hmm. yeah um Hugo isn't breathless he becomes very um, violent mm-hmm. angry mm-hmm. and the, the words the language is so colorful it would make an army barracks blush um but I'm only the, laughing because we have exactly <laughs> the same I know I know that language <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it can never be repeated um <laughs> but you know he'd had this giant giant panic attack on the football pitch which is just his worst nightmare in front of you know 20 mm-hmm. other players oh, in front of a whole crowd of other people and as as you said I mean just not one person next to me on that day I mean, this is one day out of mm. hundreds no one judged but if they did, they did it quietly at the back because the people that were there next to me that gave it some time and then came to check I was all right or gave it some time and came to ask if Hugo was all right, they just didn't judge. They um, didn't bring any of their issues or how their morning was to the table. They just showed compassion. Mm. Um, and if, if all mothers just moved around each other in that same way with a bit of compassion, yes. not judging, um, it would make life a lot easier. I, I yeah. really highly recommend anyone listening to this, if you haven't looked at Jess's page, The Only Girl in the House, um, and go and have a look at that particular post because, you know, Becky and I, Jess is absolutely true, we messaged each other after we saw that post that you'd put up about um, H and the football and that how kind and everybody down to the referee and the other parents and didn't someone like come over and sort of give you a little wink or something and like in a really knowing way and just like you're okay and we've got you and I just you know actually Becky and I both saying we were reading it and we both had tears in our eyes for like I said for different reasons we're all going through different things but for me I just felt like oh it just it gets my stomach in knots thinking about the teachers speaking to me and saying are you being consistent at home with her like, can we just look mm. at the bigger picture here? Nobody once asked how she was doing or, mm. you know, how we were doing sort of in supporting her and how hard that could feel at times. And when I, when I read that post and like looked at all that just support and how kind everyone was to you that day, which is how it should be. Yeah. And to yeah. your son as well, to be honest with you, with what, I mean, imagine what he felt like in those moments, how horrendous mm. that must have been for him. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, it just touched something in us, didn't it, Becky? Yeah. And we just were really moved by that post. Yeah, definitely. Those, unfortunately, are in the minority those days when everyone is kind. The hundreds that have come before that, like you said, where I've been in school and they've been looking at me as if say, well, what have you done wrong? What are you doing to fix this? How are you going to deal with him better? Or even looking to you Mm. go, how are you going to improve yourself? Those, unfortunately, are still in the majority. And I think I was even guilty before I had Izzy of... um seeing a kid behaving really aggressively and shouting and swearing and assuming that they had learned that behavior at home you know there's that sort of like and and kind of making these inner judgments and you know me, my husband and I aren't like that and what we've realized is that actually fear and anger are two sides of the same coin right mm. she gets super fearful mm. and it turns into utter rage and in that rage it's like she's fighting for her life you know like this cornered mm. feral animal and all and, and all we can do in, in that moment is is hold her really tightly and, and love her even harder which which then we got met with well that'll teach her won't it I mean you know like all this like we weren't we weren't you know sort of disciplining her well enough or and you know luckily we we at that time we were all in therapy and we were like we're all in therapy and this is what our therapist said is the right thing to do so fuck off thank you very much Mm. um you know and and it was it it kind of gave us a um I don't know you know a a barrier that we could put up but yeah it has definitely made me realize that you just don't judge just don't judge and just always be kind and I think that we can't go wrong if we do that basically and also mm. Becky you and I have discussed this before when a child is so angry for whatever reason that sort of an ongoing issue not something that's just they're a bit cross today because they've had a fight with their sibling but something that is you know like I said you've been going through for two three ongoing years obviously Jess for many more for you you know actually 
when they are so angry and they're sort of attacking and like you say they're like a wild animal it can feel hard sometimes on on bringing the love and showing up and being you know scooping them up when you feel like oh my god they're so angry with me I like can't get close to them and you know they're almost like repelling you in that way and then you you try and leap in and and you know bring the love even more and it's 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 really complicated isn't it and it's it can be really challenging at times I'm finding it that the new landscape that we're in is the teen years with age of course and I think bringing that love and that kindness and just human touch to Mm. you know almost touch base in in his you know angry wilderness just holding out my hand for him to grab when he was younger was possible. The whole time he was small and um, pick upable, it seemed a lot easier, or at least looking back it does. Whereas now he's he's outgrown me. He's um, stronger than me. And it's it, this is the new landscape where mm-hmm. I, I can't necessarily, he doesn't want me to bring the love. He can go somewhere, lock the door and shut me out all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is the new thing that I'm navigating now as a parent to a neurodiverse teen not just a child it's the complete isolation and shutout and and that's what I'm I'm hearing a lot in my dms and from speaking to other people is that that that's what's not talked about a lot as well yeah you know you're still turning up you can be stood the other side of that locked door with all the love and good intentions but it's it's at the moment it feels unreachable Mm -hmm. it feels like I have a child that's completely unreachable um, and doesn't want to be reached that that's a new tricky one and quite often I don't like to always share things until I've got a solution yeah, um I think right as long as I can I, I quite like to round off you know whether it's a post or a, you know, an Instagram yeah. post or a blog post I like to share the story but bring it back round to how we've dealt with it mm. at the moment with this one I'm drawing a blank yeah <laughs> you're learning you. darling you. you're that you're yeah. you know you're living it aren't you at the moment and I suppose yeah. you know you know at the mother box we are you know, we love the children, but we're so much about the mother at whatever stage it is that you are at in your motherhood journey. And I suppose, you know, like you say, your kids are a bit older now, you're navigating those those teen years, that different landscape. Any thoughts that come to mind, perhaps in more recent years, as to how you're looking after you? It was something I was crap at for years. Mm. Okay, short of checking out and saying I need a bit of rehab to sort my brain out um, I would consider that more of a necessity than um, yeah. than yeah. self-care as such <laughs> but in the last only the last few months um you know I'm, I'm not the greatest at booking things in you know I, I love having a massage I love going for a facial I love all of those things mm. but actually booking it in and doing that I always struggle with but the thing that I have found recently is going for a swim in the sea Ooh. I'm really really lucky that yes. we only live 10-15 minutes from the beach and that rush of the cold water, the openness, mm. um, it really fills me up. It's really good for the soul. And so Amazing. that is my thing now. And we just got a camper van last week with one of the main ideas and reasons being is it's my little changing room on wheels. It's my changing room. I can drive down to the beach. It's somewhere warm that I can make a cup of tea afterwards. But yeah, so self-care wise, that is that right now is my thing. That is so yeah, lovely. It's finding the thing that fills you up, isn't it? We went for a swim actually um, the other night and I took a flask of tea and they teased me for it because it was the evening. And But actually it was, how nice was it, Lecky? It was amazing. So basically <laughs> about four o'clock in the afternoon, Becky and our lovely friend Kay, who did all the illustrations in our books, so we're like a bit of a trio, they sent a message out saying, oh, we're going to go for a swim tonight to watch the sunset. Would you like to come? And we headed up to, was it Salt Dean? Yeah, we went to Salt Dean and we all drove up. Becky took tea and it was the most beautiful evening, Jess. The sun was just incredible as it was setting. And it was just the three of us were just bobbing along in the water. Like you say, the (laughs) the light is like the euphoria and the like endorphins from the laughter as we were trying to get ourselves in the water in the first place. (laughs) And then we're just bobbing along in the waves as the sun was starting to go down. And oh my goodness, I just said to the girls, wow, like... These moments are what life is made for, isn't it? Yeah, and never mock the woman that brings tea to the party. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. my kind of girl that's bringing a flask of tea. <laughs> I did was think I was well like, received. "Wow, we've changed." It used to be like a bottle of cider, and now it's a flask oh, of tea. Yeah. <laughs> 
back to parenting one of the mm. as a as a fellow teen mum one of the problems we have is screen time and i have seen your boys gaming one of my daughters is a gamer and it's mm. such a struggle to kind of because obviously social media is such a big part of their life and that's how they communicate and also yeah. for my uh, sensory daughter it's her calm down it's like her escape she escapes from yeah. herself in in it so you know the therapist actually I'm like the therapist said it was good to use it <laughs> so uh but obviously managing the amount of time is like this million dollar question like how much is too much and you know do are they allowed to self-modify and self-manage or do you set boundaries like what do you do I'm asking you one mother to another, Jess. <laughs> I, would, I would like, what I would love to be able to sit here and say is that I've either got the answer or I'm consistent. Unfortunately, I'm neither. Um, that does make me feel better, it, though. <laughs> I, mean, I go through these like mad um, moments of knowing exactly what I'm going to do, the rules that I'm putting in place, and I get all the way to the point of pinning them to the fridge and then all of a sudden I can hear like the laughter coming from behind me. And it, it's a gaggle of teenagers just mocking me. It's completely mocking my naive ideas at parenting and how I'm going to get them off their screens. Um, but I guess like you, I've, I've got Hugo who I've done you know, quite a bit of research on the fact that that is his world of escape. Um, so I, I like to think he's almost a different kettle of fish. You know, he, the idea of taking his phone mm. off him that is almost the end of his world. So I don't, I don't even try that. That's caused too many panic mm. attacks and meltdowns to even want to go there. Um, when it comes to the other boys, I find it's really a case of they all, I, I try to tell all the boys that they're individual people. They all have different rules and boundaries in place. You know, especially with Hugo and Bruno, it's difficult because they're only 13 months apart. Bruno quite often plays on the fact, well, Hugo's allowed his phone all the time, so mm. why aren't I? Yeah. Um, so it's just the case of you're different people with different needs, you know, saying it with a nice smile so that the teenager um, completely <laughs> hates me. Uh, so with Hugo, I've had to kind of live and let live. That yeah. is his space, and I've had to accept that. You know what? I, I, he's really quite good with rules. If you stick a rule in place with Hugo, he does like to stick to it. So, you know, mm. he has his times, he's allowed on it. Bruno, on the other hand, I put in place a great app called Our Pact, ah. where I can see where he is all the time. I'm a complete, you know, I can see everything that he's mm. doing. I'm, I'm a complete big brother. Um, and I can switch <laughs> off his phone at certain times because he needs that. Because Bruno, given the chance, would be up until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. on a school night mm. if he could. So he's, you know, a different kettle of fish to Hugo. He, he can't understand boundaries at all, so there need to be apps in place. Okay, good. Um, and Casper... It's five. It's lovely. Yeah. You can give yeah. him a pad. You can take it away. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's different. It's a fluid concept. I wouldn't mm. say it works all the time, but at the same time, yeah, you know, I, I really am of the belief that they are of a generation that is going to be tech savvy. Mm. Is going to live through devices to a certain extent. So I I, I don't want to hinder their communication and sociabilities with their friends. It is important, isn't it, that contact. I kind of, I was almost yeah. the other day dreaming of having the old phone in the hallway that you had to pull the the extension lead as yeah. far as you possibly could to get away from everyone to have a private conversation because I just thought, God, it was quite easy then, wasn't it? And you could only yeah. spend so long because your mum would shout, someone's trying to get through and you yeah. kind of yes. had to come off the phone. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like such an oldie when, when Russell and I talk about, oh, do you remember when? But yes, I, mean, I would love to give my kids the 90s kind of phone and tech and sort of experience that I had, just so they know how lucky they are. But, you know, you can't, yeah. it's nostalgia, I guess, on my part. Yeah. Jess, finally, we always ask our lovely guests the following question. If you could add a note to pop inside a mother box, heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice on it, what would it say? It would be to accept the help. Mm, um, yes. It's really tempting, as especially as a first-time mother, to be Mrs Everything and be perfect in every way. But I'm a true believer in accepting help isn't a sign of weakness it's a huge sign of strength um, and if you can summon that strength to accept the help or ask for help when it's needed in those early days mm. it will make all the difference 
Absolutely. And I feel like that comes from the hindsight of having now your well, three stroke mm. five children. Yeah. And like you say, if you could, you know, have that, you know, the knowledge that you had the third time around when you did it the first time around, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't it just, if, if we could bottle that experience for new mothers to just drink up, but then would they, because then it's all got to be learnt again and like me naively thinking, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it really is. I, I naively thought I could do it differently. Thousands of yes. years of motherhood and I would do it differently. All about the journey, not about the destination, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I'm all about the destination. There is a destination where the kids like get off at some point, isn't there? <laughs> and I can live my life. <laughs> Jess it's been an absolute joy having you you yeah. are as brilliant in person as you are on those squares mm. thank you so so much for coming and filling yeah, up our cups thanks, today Jess. thank you thanks once again to the wonderful Jess for joining us today and for her honesty and infectious positivity if you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do look out for our books the little book of self-care for new mums and the little book of self-care for mums-to-be where we will talk further about birth parenthood relationships and much more do let us know what you thought over on instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast see you next time on notes from the mother box hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home go to prettylitter.com and use code acast for 20 percent off your first order and a free cat toy terms and conditions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.